Our reading today is, I'm reading today from Psalm 27, verses 1 through 5, and 13 and 14. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The word of the Lord. I got a wonderful email a few weeks ago. It came from my friend Brian Cloyd and his wife Renee, who's sitting right here behind Ginger. They told me they were coming to Richmond on a visit to see some friends, and they wanted to come to worship at Second Presbyterian Church, and they wanted to know what Sunday would be good for them to come. So we played around with different dates, and they wanted to be sure to be here um, when I was preaching. And um, we settled on this date, uh, July 24th. And as their visit intersected with the scripture study that we've been doing and the sermon series on Romans 8, it came to my mind that how could I have Brian and Renee Cloyd in worship, thinking about nothing can separate us from God's love, and not ask Brian Cloyd to say something about his faith and his journey. Because, you see, he lives life, and they live life, through a particular lens, a very traumatic experience. Their dear daughter, Austin, was killed in Norris Hall on April 16, 2007, on the campus of Virginia Tech. And this has changed everything about their life, their family, their existence. So, Brian... Uh, knew that I was asking a lot, and he accepted uh, with gratitude. And so today we have a few moments uh, on faith uh, from Brian uh, about his journey, especially in light of this passage from Romans. Uh, we all are seeking to open our hearts to how we can live more faithfully, and we're grateful for people like Brian and Renee who embody such faithfulness and can inspire us. Thank you, Renee and Brian, for being here today and sharing with us um, many things. Thank you, Alex. It is uh, indeed a pleasure and an honor to be here to, to speak with you today uh, in this beautiful sanctuary, beautiful historic sanctuary, where God has called so many of his people to service uh, for so many years, and where he calls each of you today. Um, <clears throat> I want to, to say a word about uh, Alex and, and Ginger and the blessing that they were to us and to our community in Blacksburg uh, as that community healed from the events of April 16 of 07. Um, 
they did so much to, to make the presence of God known uh, to people who needed that presence so much in the weeks and months uh, following the tragedy. This morning, I, I want to tell you the story of how Austin's death uh, shattered the world that I knew and how God transformed my pain and despair into forgiveness, hope, and purpose. This is, I, I feel, an appropriate story for today for two reasons. Uh, first, I believe it, it does illustrate in part uh, what Paul was talking about in Romans 8 and what you have heard through uh, Reverend Evans's sermons the last few weeks. But secondly, in, in the wake of the horrific Oslo bombing and shootings that occurred this past Friday, Perhaps this story can remind us that in spite of all the evil and suffering that is around us, God is always at work, both directly and through his people, to bring about hope and ultimately redemption and restoration to his creation. Now, I need to back up a bit and talk about how my view of the world prior to April of 07. Although I had grown up in the church and at times had been very involved in church activities as a child and again in my 20s, the worldview that I had adopted by age 46 did not contain much of a spiritual dimension. For most of the prior 15 years since uh, graduate school, I had been so focused on establishing my academic research as a professor that I had come to view almost everything through the lens of economic and psychological theory. This admittedly narrow worldview was nonetheless sufficient for addressing the relatively shallow academic questions that occupied most of my thought. But everything changed for me on April 16 of 07. It is impossible to describe the vast emptiness that I felt for a long time after that. Although my worldview could explain what had happened, it could not explain what I should do next. Very little of what I had made of my life to that point still seemed relevant to me, very much like the children's sermon that you heard a few minutes ago. I built my house on the sand rather than on the rock. And I somehow realized that the existential crisis I was experiencing, why do I exist, could be addressed only by coming to grips with the question of God's existence. If there is no God, then our lives really are meaningless. But if God is real, then he has an answer both to my pain and to my purpose in this life. I spent a lot of time in the summer of 2007 reading books by Folks like C.S. Lewis and John Claypool, Lee Strobel, Frederick Buechner, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and many others, trying to gain the education I had somehow missed as a professor, but with a desperate goal of rediscovering and understanding the God that I had gradually lost. Late in the summer of 07, we were given the opportunity to visit Norris Hall privately before the building was officially reopened to the university. I was taken into the building by university police officers uh, who offered to answer to the best of their ability any questions that I had about what had happened. We went into Austin's classroom, and as I sat on the floor at the spot where she had died, 
the memories that immediately filled my mind were memories of Austin's birth and of the conversation I had had with our pastor at that time, 19 years earlier, about how she was a gift from God. A gift loved by God, a gift now returned to God to be with him eternally. And rather than just pain, I also felt at that moment a deep sense of peace something I had not expected going into the room. Now, I don't know if that is what Paul had in mind when he wrote that nothing, neither demons or death or anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, but that is at least part of what this verse means to me. One of the most positive formative experiences that our daughter Austin had had as a teenager was volunteering each summer with the Appalachia Service Project, or ASP. You may be familiar with that ministry. It is a home repair ministry based in central Appalachia that utilizes thousands of young people, mostly through church youth groups, to make the homes of some of the poorest people in that area warmer, safer, and drier. Because Austin had enjoyed and benefited so much from her work with ASP, Renee and I felt called to make this same opportunity available for Virginia Tech students who would be returning to campus in the fall of 07 and still dealing with the tragic events of the past April. So that first year, we made five weekend trips to Lee County, Virginia, which is a long way from Richmond. It's as far west in Virginia as you can get without going into Kentucky. And we made these trips with about 150 or so students from Virginia Tech, also faculty and, and members of the community. I think it's fair to say that nearly everyone who participated in that felt very blessed by the experience. There is perhaps no better way to move beyond our pain than to help alleviate the pain of another person. And as an added bonus, two weeks ago, we attended the wedding of an absolutely delightful young couple who met as Virginia Tech students on one of those weekend trips. Now, the following summer in July of 2008, I guess I was looking for something a little more, <clears throat> a little different uh, in my thinking of poverty and thinking of faith. And and so I took my first trip to Haiti to visit a small Baptist church that was looking for help in carrying on its ministries in Haiti's rural plateau, central plateau region. I went there alone on the first trip, not so much really with a plan to help anyone, but because I wanted to experience how such materially impoverished Christians could live by faith of loan because they had nothing else. I returned from that trip convicted by the realization of my own spiritual poverty and gradually realized that abundant life comes not from what you have, but from what you obediently give. Over the past three years, then, God has led us and others from Blacksburg to help that church with things both big and small. I'll give you some examples. First, 
The following July, 2009, God called and enabled us to begin a primary school in a small village that previously had no school. This school now, which is about to begin its third year classes, has over 350 students and a 6,000 square foot school building, uh, which also houses a church for the village, is under construction. In fact, I received uh, pictures through the, the miracle of smartphones earlier this week of the steel trusses being installed for the roof of that school. So hopefully as they enter the third school year, they'll actually be able to have class on rainy days. As a second example, in January of 2010, God called and enabled us to provide food for hundreds of refugees who migrated to our partner church following the earthquake in Port-au-Prince, seeking safety and, and seeking help because they also had, had nothing left after that earthquake had destroyed their homes. Third, God called and enabled us to, to build and fund a 200-foot bridge that enables the villagers to access markets, education, and health care, even when the river that previously isolated their community is flooded. Two weeks from today, eight of us from Blacksburg, including, I'm very happy to say, our son Andrew, will be traveling to Haiti to help the youth of our partner church deliver a vacation Bible school program for a few hundred Haitian children in the area. And finally, in a somewhat less church-sponsored effort, we and many others from Blacksburg and faculty from Virginia Tech brought 14 Haitian University students to Virginia, uh, to Virginia Tech this past academic year so that they could complete their thesis projects and receive their diplomas from three universities in Port-au-Prince that had been almost totally destroyed by the earthquake. Now, in all these cases, I've said us, and I want to emphasize it's a big us. And that is, in fact, part of the ministry. Because being called into God's service is a ministry to those who serve, just as it is a ministry to those whom you serve. But what do all of these things have in common? Well, I won't pretend to understand cause and effect in the spiritual realm, but I, I personally don't know that any of these things would have happened if it had not been for Austin's death. The spiritual transfer, transformation in my life that allowed God to use me, that opened my eyes to God's call for service, may not have happened in my life if things had simply continued as I had planned. With no pain, no suffering, no searching for God's healing hand on a wound so deep that nothing else would suffice. The God that heals is also the God that calls us to be instruments of his healing to other people. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, to be completely honest, if you had read that scripture to me in the days following Lawson's death, I might have hit you. It's not something a grieving parent can really stand to hear. 
But somehow, through all the events of the past four years, in a gradual process that I cannot clearly remember or explain, I began to understand God as I had never understood him before. Our God knows pain because he suffers with us just as he suffered for us. But our God is constantly in the business of healing and redemption, and ultimately, he will prevail. I want to conclude with a quote from Albert Schweitzer, his book, uh, Quest for the Historical Jesus. As one unknown and nameless, he comes to us, just as on the shore of the lake, he approached those men who knew not who he was. His words are the same, follow thou me. And he puts us to the tasks which he has to carry out in our age. He commands, and to those who obey, be they wise or simple, he will reveal himself through all that they are privileged to experience in his fellowship of peace and activity of struggling and suffering till they come to know as an inexpressible secret who he is. Amen.
for words uh, from Brian for music and voices like Jeff's for Bruce at the organ. All that sing God's praises, the people say, Amen. So here now these final words from Romans 8, um, beginning at verse 30 and 31 and to the end of the chapter. As we have been moving through this passage this month, we come to these final verses. We listen. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, no, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. We're grateful for Brian and Renee coming to be with us today. They come with their faith. They also come with their pain and love. All of us here, gathered here, we come with our faith, at least some measure of it, and we come with our losses, our aches, our sorrows. To live is to know loss. To love is to know suffering. To be human is to be exposed to pain. None of us escapes loss and grief. All of us who live and love eventually come into suffering. And some of it can be very extreme. Some of our suffering can be way seemingly too much to bear. Across the weeks, I've been preaching from Romans 8. We've been listening to Paul help us, teach us. How do we live? We live not by flesh. We live by the Spirit, he says. We live not according to the self. We live seeking to serve God. We live not from fear, not falling into fear, he said last week, but with faith. He even says, and Brian echoed it, in all things, in all things, God is working for good. We may not be able to hear that in every moment, but Paul says it's always true. This final section is familiar, I hope, to most of you. It's full of questions, this final verse, pericope. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who's against us? Who will bring a charge against us? Who is it to condemn us? All these questions. And Paul, this servant of God, this apostle of Christ, this one who knows that life is full of heartache and suffering. That some people really have it very bad. Paul knows all about this, and Paul gets very specific to make his point with that final question. Who will be able to separate us 
from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he goes through a very long list. Many of us like to make lists. You like to make lists? You like to make lists every day? I do it. I think about who I need to call, who I need to see, what I need to do so I can feel like I'm accomplishing things through the day. We like to make lists, many of us. I don't think we like to make this kind of list. This is not the list that we check off. This is the list of things that we want to avoid. And they're all listed here in response to these questions. Hardship? Who wants hardship? But it comes our way as we move through the transitions of life. It comes our way in certain seasons of marriage or certain moments with our children or with our parents. Even in the economy, hardships, it's part of life. Distress, that's in the list. It's, frequent, it's a frequent force in all of our lives. When we can't get things solved, we feel distressed. When things are undone, we feel distressed. When we realize we're not in control, we feel distressed. Those lingering issues keep us up at night. Those doubts haunting us, dragging us down. The persecution, that's in the list. The human race has such a history of persecuting people and being persecuted. We persecute women. We persecute blacks. We persecute Gays and lesbians, we persecute Muslims, we persecute Christians, many other groups. We have such an inclination to look at people who are different from us and think with disdain or violence toward them. It seems to be our nature. Or famine, that's in the list. Nakedness, peril, sword, they're all in the list. It's a long list that Paul is laying out here. And Paul's point is to remind us that he knows a little bit about life. Life's not easy. It's full of hardship. It's full of disappointment. This is not some Pollyanna faith that if we believe in God, everything's going to be perfect and easy. He knows better than that, and he shows us with this list. So he has one question left. Who will separate us? And what are we to say about these things? And it's his confession that while life is hard and these forces can be very big and strong against us and they feel stronger than ourselves and we wonder if indeed they're stronger than God, he's saying no. They may feel stronger than you, but they're never stronger than God. In fact, all these things are weaker than God. That's the point of his list. He, in fact, he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, through him who loves us. More than conquerors. How do we hear this today? Perhaps this is a way we might hear it. You all know the Greek word. You've heard of this. Nike, right? Nike is a Greek word. Did you know that? It's the Greek word for victory. It's the Greek word for conquer. It's well known around the world, this word, because of a certain company. It's probably up there with Coca-Cola and McDonald's because of Billions spent on this brand and that brand being known. We know Nike. It means to conquer. It means victory. That word Nike is the root that Paul is using in this verse. But the word Nike is not strong enough for Paul in making his, his point about God and God's love stronger than everything. So great is the victory of God... So strong is God's conquering love. 
of all the difficult forces that we face, all the debilitating evils that we encounter, so strong is God's love that he uses the strongest way to convey the essence of the truth. And the Greek word is hyper-Nike, which means more than conqueror. No, we are more than conquerors through God's love. His point, in every test, God wins. In every circumstance, whatever you can think about today, whatever you're carrying, God prevails through every hardship, through every distress, through every persecution and peril. While it looks like it's too much for me, while it looks like it's even too much for the world, there's the promise. Hyper Nike, through him who loved us, you are more than conquerors. So we may have heard this news before today. Certainly you've heard it. It's read. You may read it numerous times yourself. But you know what? It's meant to seep into you today. It's meant to get to your heart. It's meant to change your life. It's meant to free you, relieve you, change the way you're functioning because of God's conquering love, hyper-Nike, conquering all. It's meant to send us on our way differently. So it really comes down to this. Where are we living? Whose story are we living in? The story of the world that lives and confronts evil and pain and suffering or the story of God who conquers who prevails over all things, hyper-Nike. Which story is ours and where we're living? There's another important phrase in this passage that deserves attention briefly today. And it is Paul's phrase, I am convinced. For I am convinced. It could be translated, for I am persuaded. I am convinced. I am persuaded. And then another list. That neither death nor life nor things present, nor things to come, nor angels, nor rulers, nor height, nor depth, nor powers, nor anything else. A long list. Nothing will be able to separate us from Christ Jesus our Lord. That section begins, I am convinced. I am persuaded. It means Paul's heart, Paul's mind, his whole life has been changed because of God. And he's moved into a new story. The story of God and God's promises. It's not, I'll think about that, and maybe I'll eventually get there. It's not, hmm, that's interesting. It's not, perhaps I'll get there one day. It's not, I wonder if that's true. Paul says, I'm convinced. I'm persuaded. And what that means is he's living in the realm of God. And he's hoping we'll be convinced too. He is hoping that our hearts and minds and lives will be changed too for a new mode of living. He's hoping we'll get our minds around it, our hearts into it. He's hoping we'll be persuaded. Sure, there are moments when we wonder and doubt. We may be in the middle of it right now. There are seasons, perhaps even long seasons, when we're wallowing in darkness and despair and discouragement. Many things happen to us and to our world. 
The example in Norway is another devastating, violent trauma. But the message of this text is consistent and clear. It goes through all the whole te no, Old Testament. It's consistent with the words that Jesus speaks, and it's all through the New Testament. If God is for us, who can be against us? Can anything separate us from God's love? No, the promise is there. So, friends, whatever you're struggling with, whatever burden seems so heavy for you today, whatever indignities you're dealing with, the heartache, the despair even, whatever the cost you feel it is to carry on in faith, here's the good news. God is there. God is understanding. And God will prevail. God's love prevails. Because of hyper Nike, God's conquering love. And nothing can separate us from God's love. This is the story that we live in. God's story. This is our story. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Let's be persuaded by God's spirit. Let's open our hearts. Let's seek to move into that realm where Paul keeps talk, calling us. Because, friends, God wins. Love prevails. Hope is real. And nothing in life or death can ever separate us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's let that affect the way we live today. Let's let it affect the way we serve, the way we give our lives and faithfulness and devotion. And let's work for God's coming reign in fullness through these walls, through this city, through this season, across the globe. All glory and honor, thanks and praise be to God. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief, and use your spirit to move us deeper into the truth. If you are for us, who can be against us? Amen.